0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon.
1: If you have your Bibles, please turn to Philippians, not Philippians, 2nd Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Thank you, Bill, for reading for us yes second peter chapter 1 verses 12 through 21 today therefore i intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and they are established in the truth that you have i think it right as long as i am in this body to stir up by way of reminder since i know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our lord jesus christ made clear to me as i will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at all time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter, chapter one, verses twelve through twenty-one.
0: Thanks, Bill. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be together. I want to welcome back though the ladies from uh, the uh, True Woman Conference. I know we had. About a dozen, a few more, I think, go out to Indianapolis for a conference, and almost as many were participating in the conference by simulcast here, so you all are all filled up. I don't, if you want, you can turn me off, maybe. I don't know. No, you're here, you're back because you want to hear more from, from the Lord, so, uh, but I, I can't wait to hear about some of the things that the Lord did uh, in, uh, in your time away. Uh, we are in that passage you just heard, and so I'm going to just ask for the Lord's help with it, because there's lots of good stuff in there, and then um, let's get right into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for answering our prayers, for watching over us, for guarding our steps, uh, bringing us back this morning, Lord, to worship you, to fellowship together. We praise you and thank you for the, the gift that it is to be your your people, your sons and your daughters, and to gather together and, and worship you this way. Thank you for the, the women who are able to travel and uh, and participate here locally in the conference. Thank you for mercies on the roads and and, uh, but far more for the, the ways you spoke to their hearts and into their lives and equipped them and comforted them and challenged them and encouraged them and everything you had prepared for them this, uh, this past week. And uh, thank you for how you're working in all of our lives. We'd invite you now, Lord, to speak to us through this passage. Uh, you're, uh, one of your 12 uh, wrote this for us, Lord, carried along by your Holy Spirit. Help us to to come to it with that kind of a personal openness, to to hear what you have for us today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your great name we pray. Amen. Every year, uh, about this time, usually in October, uh, the Nobel Prize Committee Uh, announces their awards. So I don't know how much you pay attention to this kind of thing. I don't pay a lot myself. But you you start to see it in the news, usually in October. The Nobel Prize Committee announces who won. And there's a bunch of Nobel Prizes. It's not just one. Uh, And so they kind of dole them out over the course of several days. And what that means is that over the course of those several days, some, some scientists will get phone calls in the middle of the night. They'll get phone calls in the middle of the night because that's how they do it. That's how the Nobel Prize Committee tells people that they've won a Nobel Prize. Uh, They call them in person by phone. And and since the committee is in Switzerland, they make the decisions over there in Switzerland, if you're over here, if you're in the Western Hemisphere, the time all works out such that you're getting a call in the middle of the night if you win a prize to tell you that you won the prize. Uh, That's made for some interesting stories over the years. Uh, For example, some winners have refused to answer the phone. And so, you know, the phone starts ringing in the middle of the night, and can you imagine what you would do? You'd look, and you'd see the caller ID. I don't know who that is. I'm not answering, right? (laughs) It's the Nobel Prize Committee, but I'm not answering. Uh, And that's happened a bunch of times. Uh, Other people have slept through the call. They never heard the phone ring, never even heard that there was a call. That happened about a dozen years ago to a, a scientist in New York. Uh, He was a chemist, and he won the Nobel Prize in chemistry. And the call came in the middle of the night, never heard it, slept right through it. Uh, He woke up the next morning, he thought, oh, I wonder who won the chemistry prize. Because, you know, he was kind of paying attention, he knew it was going to be awarded. So he's like, oh, I wonder who won. And he gets on the computer, types in who won, and it was him. (laughs) What a a fun way to learn. You know, you Google who won the prize, and, and your name pops up. And uh, so that happens sometimes. But, but the, my favorite ones, and you'll see these stories sometimes in the news, is, is that sometimes winners will actually hang up on the committee members, right? So the Nobel Prize, call, uh, prize committee uh, calls, the phone rings, uh, you kind of groggily pick it up, hello, congratulations, you won a Nobel Prize, pfft bang, (laughs) hang it up. And they've, they've, you know, again, this has happened on numerous occasions. You know, oh, it must be one of my friends. They're messing with me, right? They're they're trying to prank me here in the middle of the night. Uh, And that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. And I was thinking, that's how it is sometimes with good news, right? You can see why you'd hang up. I mean, sometimes good news is so good that you can't quite believe it. And that happens sometimes to us. That happens sometimes with our faith in Jesus Christ. The things we believe as Christians are so good that sometimes we struggle to believe them. That's where today's passage helps us. Today's passage really helps us with this. Uh, we're working through 2 Peter this fall. Uh, we started a series a few weeks ago, and I explained we're going to work through 2 Peter, and then we're going to take three weeks. So 7 in 2 Peter, 3 weeks in Jude. And these two little books have a lot in common with each other, so we're going to study them together and they, they really help us. I, I, I made the case in week one of this series that they help us to live with sense in serious times, kind of the, the, the top, the title of my series. We live with sense in serious times by reading these books. Every generation of believers, every generation faces its own challenges, but a lot of those challenges are the same, and they kind of change in different cultures, but, but a lot of times you're, you're dealing with the same things. And this book helps us with some of those timeless challenges that every generation deals with in its own way. And one of those challenges that Peter's readers were dealing with, and he addresses it in today's text, we deal with it too, is that lots of people struggle with with doubt. We have doubts about the truth, Uh, sometimes even including Christians, right? We're, We're not immune to this. We're not talking about an outside thing. We're talking about an inside thing. We, we struggle with doubts just like everybody else does. And so in context here, so, so this is week three, in, in the first two weeks, we looked at some very important things. There's some really important things that Peter has walked us through that we need to believe, right? And so he talked about our salvation, and that was you know, week one, verses one through four. We kind of talked about the grounds of our salvation. Verse one, we are saved. We have this faith uh, by, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It, it comes from him. We're saved by grace through faith alone. right? We're we're not saved by our own works, we're saved by what Jesus did. That's really important. Uh, And then last week, verses 5 through 11, we talked about our response to that, because there's a response, there's a responsibility that we have to the salvation Jesus has gained for us. And so yes, he saves us by grace, but that is not the end of the story. Uh, No, now there's something we are called to do. Jesus calls us to do something, and we talked about it last week. We're called to build our lives, build our our lives on Jesus. And so we looked at verse five, make every effort, right? Work hard, be diligent to supplement your faith. And that doesn't mean like improve on your faith or make it better. It's everything we need is right there, but, but to build on it. It's like the foundation. And now we're building on what Jesus has, has laid for us. And so Peter says, work at it, be diligent at your faith. And you put those two together, and, and that's really important, what we looked at in those, those 11 verses. And it's so important that now Peter moves to bolster our confidence in it. Because we're, we're basing a lot on those first 11 verses. We're basing our eternal destination. We're basing the way we live our lives in the world today. So we, we need to, to have uh, some tools for dealing with the doubts that are going to come along right we need to have some tools and so that's what the, today's passage does today's passage shows us how to strengthen our confidence in the truth that's what peter walks us through in verses 12 through 21 we need he shows us how to strengthen our confidence in the truth and we need that we need to do that we do deal with doubts right there will be doubts sometimes the doubts come from within ourselves right there are our own struggles our own temptations, our own hurt, the baggage from our own past that kind of comes in and starts introducing doubts about God and doubts about other Christians. So we have those kinds of things. And then we have doubts that come from the outside, right? Things that come from the news or from books or documentaries you see on television or sometimes it comes from our friends or our relatives or teachers or professors or other people in authority. There are lots and lots. There's no shortage of voices around us that will tell us we are foolish. Right? We are foolish to believe the things we believe. There's all kinds of voices that'll tell us that. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how to strengthen our faith in the face of those doubts, both the ones from within and the ones from without. And what I see is I look through, study in verses 12 through 21 over the last couple of weeks, I see three steps here. So I want to talk about three steps Peter walks us through to strengthen our confidence in the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. So let's just, uh, let's look at these together. Number one, the first step that we can take to strengthen our confidence is to keep reminding ourselves of the truth. Keep reminding yourself. That, the, keep reminding yourself. That's, that's the, where we start. Uh, and this is the focus of verses 12 through 15. So if you've got your Bible open or opened up to a, a Bible app of some kind, um, verses 12 through 15 focus on the importance of reminding ourselves of the truth. Uh, it's really important. Right, That's, and, and actually Lee alluded to it a little bit as he was setting us up for worship this morning. Uh, we need to keep reviewing. When something's important, you keep reviewing it. You know, I was thinking, uh, it's a little bit like being part of a bomb squad. Right? And I don't, know, I, I don't know a lot about this, but I assume that if you work on a bomb squad, if you're like a, a soldier or a police officer, and you're, you're part of a bomb squad, I would guess that those guys and, and those men and women are constantly reviewing their craft. Because right? that's not something you want to uh, you know, get halfway through, right? You don't want to be halfway through diffusing a bomb, and then you're like, what? was it the red wire or the white wire, right? <laughs> Which one do I cut? You don't want to be second-guessing yourself in the middle of diffusing a bomb. It's that important. And these things we're looking at are that important. This is, this is important stuff. So, so you've got to remind yourself. You've got to keep reviewing. That's Peter's point. So uh, verses 12 through 15. I'm going to read him again. He says, Therefore, and the therefore connects us back to verses 1 through 11, which is why I connected us back to verses 1 through 11. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So, uh, four verses, uh, relatively short verses. Peter uses a, a, the word for remind, or be reminded, or remember, uh, three different times. Three times in there he says, Rom, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you. So verse 12, um, I intend to remind you of these qualities. He's referring back to verses 5 through 11 specifically, the things we looked at last week, those qualities. But it's, it's really, I think it's, it's that specifically, but it's the whole gospel uh, in, in general. I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. I'm not just going to say it once and drop it. I'm going to keep reminding you, he says. Uh, verse 13, uh, it is right for me to stir you up by way of reminder. Now, my goal on this is, and it's the same Greek word. It's a different, it's, it's the same root, it's a different form, it's the same word. And then again in verse 15, I want to make sure you'll be able to rem- remember. Same word, in English we do it as recall. I recall, but, but to be reminded of these things, so his emphasis in this first paragraph is, is remembering. I'm going to help you remember. You need to help yourself remember, uh, he says. Moreover, notice he says he's going to do this even though he knows we already know these things. So it's not that we're 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 obtuse, we're dull, and, and he, you know you guys just can't get it. So I'm going to keep reminding you. No, he says I know you know it, right? I I, I intend to remind you these, these things even though you know them. And are established. You're rooted in the truth that you have. I know you know this stuff, Peter says. I know you went to Sunday school all those years. I know you've been to dozens of conferences and read hundreds of books. I know you went to a Bible college. I know you've got a seminary degree. I don't care. You still need to be reminded. You need to be reminded anyway, the apostle says. And then he says there's a sense of urgency to this. And in principle, there's a sense of urgency because it's so important. Personally, for him, there's a sense of urgency because he has a sense of personal urgency. Uh, He says, I'm going to die soon. This is urgent, Peter says. I'm going to die soon. That's what he means. I'm putting it more bluntly. He's a little more eloquent. He says, I know that the putting off of my body, uh, he actually uses the word tent, my earthly tent, will be soon. I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. I'm going to die soon, Peter says. And he doesn't go into the details. Uh, Most Bible teachers will tell you, and I think they're right, that this is his last imprisonment. He's in Rome. It's the late 60s. Tradition says he was uh, crucified upside down by Emperor Nero and his administration in in 68 AD. Um, So he's probably, Peter kind of sees the writing on the wall. But more than just that, he says Jesus told him, I know from the Lord himself that I'm going to die soon. And this, Peter says, is how I'm going to use the rest of my time. He's not ticking off things on the bucket list. He's not trying to reach out to that cousin he hasn't talked to in a few more years one more time. He says, I got a little bit of time left, and here's how I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. In fact, he uses the word work at it. It's the same word we looked at last week in verse 5 and verse 10. Make every effort. Be diligent. I'm going to use what little bit of time I have left, Peter says, to make every effort to remind you of the truth. That's how important it is. Here's the point if remembering, if reminding ourselves of the truth was Peter's priority, if it was that high of a priority for the apostle, for Christians to be reminded, then it ought to be our priority for ourselves. If it's that important, it ought to be that high of a priority for ourselves. We need to keep reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel. See, the truth is, is we never outgrow the basics. We do not outgrow the basics. You know, we, there's no sense in which we kind of move on from the elemental gospel. Uh, and, and that's true with a lot of things, right? It's true with a lot of things that we never outgrow the basics. Uh, that's why professional sports teams, even the pros, they have training camps and preseasons and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter if your name is Tom Brady or Aaron Judge or or LeBron James. Pick your sport. It doesn't matter how good you are. You still need to drill the basics. That's how it works. And it's the same thing for us as Christians. We do not outgrow the basics. We don't leave them behind. And so we need church. We need church. We need the fellowship of believers. We we don't outgrow that mutual encouragement. Uh, We need to be in God's Word. More on that in a few minutes is where all this is going to land. You've read the passage, you know where we're headed. Uh, we need God's word. We need time in prayer, right? Even if it's just a few minutes, but, but we don't outgrow the need uh, to pray. Uh, we need the elemental principles of the gospel, the basics. I, I've always loved, uh, even in my own sense of call, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I stuck to the basics, Paul says. Right? I stuck to the basics. The, the Corinthians want to dig deep and all these other kind of stuff, and he'll dig deep with them, but he says, look, uh, it's Christ. It's Christ and him crucified. Same is true for us. No matter how long we've walked with Jesus, we still need those basics to keep reminding ourselves of, of, uh, of the truth. And that's, that's an important way. It, it goes back to this. It strengthens our confidence. It keeps us rooted in that which is most important and that which is true. So that's one thing we can do, keep reminding ourselves, keep fellowshipping, keep worshiping, keep all those things we do to remind ourselves. Number two, the second step we take to build up our confidence is to listen to the reliable witnesses. Listen to reliable witnesses. This is the tack Peter's going to take, and this second point's kind of a transitional point to the third one, but it's an important one. He says, listen to the people who saw it. Listen to the reliable witnesses. That's verses 16 uh, through 18, 16, 17, and 18. He says, For uh, we we did not follow cleverly devised myths uh, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born, born from heaven. For we were with him, we were with him on the holy mountain. This is one of the most uh, personal parts of this letter for Peter. Uh, he says, listen, I'm not making it up, right? And lest anybody accuse him of making stuff up, Peter says, well, we're not making this stuff up. It's not, uh, some translations will say fables. This one says myths. Uh, that's the, the, the word here is myths. Uh, we did not follow cleverly devised myths or stories, he says. That's not what we gave you when we told you about Jesus. Uh, The ancient world was filled with myths. They loved stories, right? The ancient peoples loved stories. That was the the world Peter lived in. Uh, He lived in that Mediterranean world that was saturated. The Roman Empire was saturated with those those Greco-Roman mythology, we'll we'll, we'll say sometimes. Uh, Stories about the gods and, and, and and powers and how things happened and heroes and all this kind of stuff. And they're really great stories, right? I mean, not everybody loves this kind of stuff, but a lot of people do still today, you know, read, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey and all those different kinds of things, right? Stories about uh, gods and power and magic. We have stories. We have our own stories today. We're still making modern day myths, you could call them. We, we have stories just like they did. Uh, Iron Man, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, Black Panther, Captain America. Gandalf, Aragorn, Frodo, it could go on and on and on. They're great stories, wonderful stories filled with power and magic and heroes and and gods and all that kind of stuff. But they're just stories. They're just stories, Uh, ancient and modern alike. They didn't really happen. And this is the distinction Peter wants us to understand in our hearts of hearts. I'm not just giving you stories, Peter said. It's not just stories. We're giving you the truth. It's not just great stories. See, we, always, we always, the Romans knew that a lot of that stuff that they would read wasn't really real. You know, was it, did Zeus really do this or that? Uh, shrug, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, maybe. They were just stories. Peter says, this isn't just stories. This is the truth. And then he, he goes on. So he, he, he kind of stakes out that ground. We're giving you things that really happened, the truth. And then he says, here's why you can trust me on that. All right, here's why you can trust me on this, he says. You can trust me because we were eyewitnesses. He actually uses the plural because he's wrapping him, the other apostles in with himself. He says, we saw it. The stuff we told you about Jesus, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, we were with him. We were with him, verse 18. We were with him on the holy mountain. This isn't a story we heard from this guy, from this guy, from this guy, from this guy, passed down for 500 years. We were, we were there, Peter says. He's actually talking about something specific. And I'm going to actually read the text. He's talking about the transfiguration. Right? So the transfiguration of Jesus, the transfiguration is, uh, and it's when he was transfigured. It's a word, it's a special word. It's such a special event. We have a special word to describe it. Um, he was transfigured on, on, on the mountain. We're not 100% sure which mountain it even was, but he was transfigured. And it's recorded in the Gospels. All, all four of them actually mention it. Three of them tell the story outright. And I am uh, going to read Matthew's version. So you could turn or you could just listen. Uh, Matthew 17. And I want to read to you verses 1 through 8. Just listen to Matthew's description. Probably got firsthand from Peter afterwards. Peter, James, and John. Let me read it to you. Uh, here's how Matthew describes it. He says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, James' brother, and led him up a high mountain, led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Sometimes we, we downplay the, the transfiguration. You know, it doesn't get a lot of press, what, that text that I just read. Um, after all, it's just one story in a whole bunch of awesome stories, right? There's some really awesome miracles. A lot of them we kind of identify with more, you know, calming the storm on the sea. You know, a lot of people love that one. It, but we don't give a lot of attention all the time to the transfiguration. It's interesting then that Peter, here in our letter, back to 2 Peter, Peter seems to see it as one of the most important events from the life of Jesus. Because this is the one he zeroes in on. right? And I think he's using it, it, it's, uh, it represents the whole life of Jesus. He's clearly talking about his own eyewitness status of everything Jesus did. But he zeroes in on this transfiguration one. And the reason it's so important the reason the transfiguration is so important is that in that miracle, Jesus allowed his true glory to be revealed. Right? And so it's like, it's like the veil was pulled back for only a brief glimpse. It was just, apparently it only lasted a few minutes. But, but God, uh, in, the, in that, and it's, a, it's a true miracle. He, he opens up the, the heavens so that they can see who Jesus really is, who, who he is. And so they see his his majestic glory uh peter says and they didn't just see it they heard it we we heard so again you might feel some echoes here of stuff we looked at last winter when we started first john because john did some of the same sort of stuff remember we it was in john first john chapter one we we saw we heard we touched peter's doing some of that same sort of stuff here Uh, and so peter says we saw him on the mountain but we also heard we heard a voice what voice god's voice (laughs) peter says god the father spoke on that mountain and he didn't just say yo right he didn't just kind of you know make a you know boo or something from from heaven or like some old i don't know any monty python fans from years past you know where they don't do those those goofy god talking from the skies no god didn't just say yo from heaven he audibly and powerfully endorsed jesus this is my beloved son with him i am well pleased I heard him say it, Peter says. So you actually have two reliable witnesses there in verses 16, 17, and 18. Peter's pointing us to two reliable witnesses. He's pointing to himself and the other apostles, and he's pointing to God. God says that Jesus is who he says he is, right? So we have these two sets of witnesses, and they both testify to the truth about Jesus. He's not just a man. He's not just a historical figure. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a moral teacher. He was and is the majestic, glorious, beloved Son of God. God himself, the second person of the the eternal Trinity. That, Peter says, is what we saw and what we heard. Now, we haven't, right? You and I have not seen that. We have not heard that. We've not seen what Peter saw. So we've got the witness here, right? But we haven't seen what he saw. We haven't heard what he heard but what we have is his testimony, right? We have Peter's testimony, and that's his point. He's saying this to his readers 2,000 years ago, and that comes right down to you and me. We're, here we are, we're still reading it. And he says, you've got my word for it. I vouch for it, Peter says. Now, if you're sitting here thinking that's not good enough, let think about it for a minute. We actually accept a lot of things on the basis of that. Right, we actually accept the truthfulness of a lot of things based on the testimony of a reliable witness. All right, so I'm don't know. i not saying this is the only piece of evidence we have, but, but this is a powerful one, more powerful than we tend to give it credence for, the, the, the testimony of this reliable witness named Peter. Um, let me try this. Let me think about it this way. I would guess that in a group this size, that at least some of you have been to Paris. Not Paris, Illinois. Paris, France. I, I would guess that at least some of you have been uh, across the ocean, over there in Europe, you've visited uh, Paris, France. I have not. I've, I've never been to France. I've never been to Paris. I've, I've never been there. But I believe in Paris. Right? I believe in Paris. I believe it's a real place. It's there. It's not just something they made up for movies, to, you know, for romantic settings and that kind of thing. And why do, So why do I believe in Paris, France? Well, I believe because there's evidence, right? There's, there's historical counts, right? I can read in history books about things that have happened in, in, in Paris, and it's been around this long, and these things have happened there. I can look at pictures, right? I can look at pictures that, have, that purport to have been taken in Paris, France. And so I suppose I could go all conspiratorial and say, you know, they just made it up. Right, there is no, you know, they just made up pictures of Paris. Maybe it's all big conspiracy, but the most convincing evidence is when the two or three or four, however many of you have been to Paris, come up to me afterwards and say, "Yeah, it's real. I've been there. It's not just a picture. I've stood at the base of the Eiffel Tower. I've looked up. There it is. It's amazing. Right? I've been there. I've I've walked in the Louvre. It was really crowded. I couldn't see anything, but I've I've been there. Right? I've I've been there, and and so I already believe in this place. But then you come to me and you tell me, yeah, you've been there. And maybe if none of you have been there, I've got a good friend in New York who grew up in, in France, and so he, he's French, so I know he can verify, verify it for me. But you come to me and you say, I've been there, I've seen it. That strengthens my confidence in the thing that I already believe. Right? So you're not trying to persuade me Paris exists and I don't believe it. You're, you're strengthening what I already know, what I already believe. That's the function of Peter's testimony here. That's what he's saying. Now, there is a difference. I realize my analogy breaks down. The difference is you and I cannot talk to Peter. Peter's Peter's gone on to heaven now, right? Peter's Peter's been gone for almost 2,000 years. So we can't talk to Peter, and that's where step number three comes in. Like I told you a few minutes ago, step number two is kind of transitional because it gets us right into number three. What's the other thing we do to strengthen our confidence in the truth? We pay close attention. We pay close attention to the Word of God. It's a good thing I told you a few minutes ago that we have to keep reminding ourselves of the basics because I say this all the time and we actually did a sermon on this three weeks ago. Uh, This right here, it's the word of God. Know what's in here. That's what he tells us in verses 19 through 21 and and really it's what he tells us in verses 16 through 21 as he sets it up. Uh, Know what's in here. Read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. Most of all, do what it says. Don't just be an expert in it, live it out. Do what it says. That's one of the best things we can do to strengthen our confidence our confidence in the truth. That's verses 19 through 21, Uh, starting with verse 19 here. He says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I'll stop there for a minute. We'll catch the rest in a moment. When Peter says the prophetic word, uh, he's talking, so, so let's dig into his terms here. Uh, he says, you have the prophetic word, right? We, ha- we have the prophetic word. Uh, what he's talking about most immediately is the Old Testament, right? So in its most immediate context, if you and I were reading the original version of this letter as being read aloud in our churches in 67 AD or whatever it was, uh, as, as we were reading this letter, most immediately, we would think about the Old Testament. And that's why that term he uses, the prophetic word. Uh, The Old Testament comes to us from the prophets. Moses, the the, the law, the prophets, and the writings, the wisdom literature. uh, They would would broadly describe that as being written by the prophets. And so most immediately, we, we have the Old Testament. And notice what he says here about it. He says it's more fully confirmed now. It's more fully confirmed. Not that it wasn't confirmed before. Actually, the Old Testament canon was closed, and Jesus validated and trusted in the Old Testament. He quotes it all the time. It's an interesting study uh, to to go through and look at all of the places where Jesus either quotes or alludes to, references, things from the Old Testament. His his teaching was filled with the Old Testament. So Jesus clearly affirmed the authority of the Old Testament. So, So we have the Old Testament... And, and so Peter's not saying, now we know we can trust the Old Testament. No, we already trusted the Old Testament. What he's saying is, now we know what the Old Testament was about. It's more fully confirmed. That is, we know that it's about Jesus. The whole thing, he says, pointed to Jesus. And so everything in the Old Testament was preparing us for Jesus, one way or another. And now the, the New Testament reveals Jesus. Right? And, and so in the New Testament is being written. Peter's actually writing it as he's as he's writing this letter he's writing one of the letters in it and so you have uh we have the old testament which prepared us for jesus we have the new testament which revealed jesus and you put it all together and we have everything we need to know about jesus we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed we understand now that the whole thing is about him and what god's doing in him it strengthens our confidence it strengthens our confidence in the truth and therefore we should pay attention to it. Right? So he establishes what it is, uh, and therefore we should pay attention to it. That's as you keep reading in verse nineteen. We have the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention. Uh, the word therefore pay attention means to pay close attention to something. So it's not pay attention the way you do to a, you know, maybe to a football game where you're kind of watching the football game, but, you know, kind of boring sometimes. And so you're also checking your email or, you know, maybe you're having a conversation. Uh, You know, you're kind of splitting your attention when you do that. Um, Here, this word means to pay close attention. Everything else is tuned out. You're not paying attention to anything else. You're not distracted by anything else. You're paying close attention. And in this case, it's to God's word. Then he gives us a picture. He say, "What do you mean? How would I how would I pay close attention to God's word?" He gives us a picture for how to do it. He says, uh, "Pay attention to God's word the way you would pay attention to a lamp, shining in a dark place." Do you see where he says that there in the the next part of verse nineteen? It's like a lamp in a dark place. So imagine you walk into a dark room and you've never been in this room before, and it's pitch dark. And you, you don't know what's in there. You don't know how big it is. You don't know if there's other people in there and they're just being quiet because it's a surprise party or something. Uh, you don't know if there's furniture in the way. You don't know anything. All you know is you need to get through this room to the other side because the place you want to go is on the other side of the room. So you walk into this room. It's pitch dark. It's a dark room. You don't know where the light switches are or even if there are any. What are you going to do? Well, you're kind of worried. You're a little panicky. What am I going to do? Oh, but then you remember that you've got your phone in your pocket. And you've got one of those phones that lights up and it's got a little flashlight on it. So you take out your phone and you do the swishes and the swipes and you find the little uh, flashlight app and you tap the little app and voila, now you've got light. And now you can see. You can't see great, those lights aren't usually super, but now you can see, you have a little bit of light. Now, you have your little bit of light, you have to get through this pitch dark room. Are you going to shine the light back here and go this way? (laughs) No, you're going to put the light out in front of where you're going. And you're going to pay close attention to what that light is revealing. You're not looking off into the darkness. You're looking at what the light is showing you. You're going to pay close attention to the light in the dark place. That's what we're supposed to do, Peter says, with God's word. Pay close attention to it. Probably reminds you of Psalm 119, doesn't it? Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Such a beautiful description. God's word is the light by which we find our way. You know, how do we live with sense in sensible times, in senseless times? Uh, We live with sense by by paying attention to the light, right? His his word is the light by which we find our way. It's a lamp shining in a dark place. Uh, He also tells us how long Right, so Peter packs a lot into this verse 19. Uh, he tells us how to pay attention to it, pay attention to God's word closely. He also tells us duration. How long should we keep paying attention to God's word? It goes a little bit back to the reviewing stuff. Do we just do it for a few weeks until we got it down? No, uh, we do it until Jesus comes back. That's his description. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Um, I, I, I won't take a lot of time to explain why but i believe he's talking there that is um biblical language two different biblical pictures for uh for the return of christ the day the day of christ's return morning star you'll see jesus called the morning star in the book of revelation he's talking about the return of jesus when he says that and so he says you keep paying attention to the word until it's done keep paying attention close attention until jesus comes back for you either in in your death if that comes first or ultimately for all of us in his return when he comes back, we won't need this anymore. When we go to worship in heaven, we all, won't all walk in with our Bibles. We won't need them anymore. We, we won't because we'll, we'll have him face to face. But until we have him face to face, we cling to the witnesses. We have the reliable witnesses. And then finally, Peter wraps all of this up by, by reminding us why. right? Because this is more than just a conversation afterwards about the reality of Paris. It's more than just a historical account of something that happened in the past. He says, no, you pay close attention to this because it is the very word of God, right? That's verses 20 and 21. And so he starts out and he says, uh, he says, knowing this, so we're going to pay attention to it, knowing this first of all. And that language is, um, it's not chronological, like know this one and then move on to the next one. It's uh, first importance. This is the knowledge by which everything else makes sense. Right, this first-order first knowledge that he's about to tell us in verse 20, this is the thing that makes sense of everything else in our lives. So here it is. Uh, knowing this of first-order importance, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he kind of goes back to verse 16. Right? Verse 16, where he said, hey, listen, I'm not making this up. Now he says, none of us are making this up. None of the scripture writers are making this up. Any, anything that is, is scripture now, it's not a man's own interpretation, it's from God. Peter stakes that out. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever studied uh, the doctrine of scripture, if you've ever looked at that at all in any context, you have probably heard this verse, these two verses right here, twenty twenty one, because they're very important to the doctrine of scripture because what they do is they help us understand how God did it right? If you ever wondered, how did I I get this? How did this come to us? Uh, Did did God sit down and kind of like possess them, Uh, or did he like kind of grab their hand and kind of make them write things they didn't necessarily want to write otherwise? Was it like that, almost kind of a robotic sort of a thing? Uh, No, Peter tells us, no, that's not how it worked. Uh, They were writing, they were doing their stuff, they were writing, and the Holy Spirit was carrying them along. And so, and so you get the differences in the books, right? You read someone like Paul, you know, read Romans, comp- then go read a couple of chapters in Ezekiel, right? Those are two very different writers, right, with two very different approaches, but, but it's all God's truth. Why? Because it's the same Holy Spirit. It's the one Holy Spirit carrying them along. I really like how uh, John Stott put it. I was going to share this with you. He puts it so succinctly and so well. Uh, John Stott wrote, uh, God spoke his words through their words in such a way that their words were simultaneously his. And as a result, what they say, they say, God says. Uh, One more time. God spoke his words through their words in such a way that their words were simultaneously his. And as a result, what they say, God says. That's why we should pay close attention to the Bible. The Bible is God's word. After Jesus rose from the dead, back, you know, he he, he rose from the dead on that first, what we now call Easter Sunday, um, he began to appear to his his followers, right? Especially those apostles. He appeared to them on a couple of different occasions. And when they see him, they believe. We're kind of told that repeatedly. They saw him and they believed. They saw him and they believed. Uh, in one of those encounters, Jesus said something to one of those apostles who saw him and believed. It was to Thomas. And I've always loved this this little passage uh, personally. It's John 20, verse 29. Because you remember, Thomas struggled. Thomas, when he heard about it from someone else, he wasn't quite sure he believed it. But then when he saw it, he did. My Lord and my God, he says in John chapter 20. And then Jesus says to, to Thomas, he says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. John 20, 29. That's us. Jesus is is seeing there what Peter's going to write about and what we're going to experience today. That's us. We have not seen Jesus with our own eyes. We have not heard God's voice with our own ears. Someday you will. Someday we will, but we haven't yet. But we are still confident. We are still confident in the meantime, and the reason is right here. It's right here. The reason is right here. We have the Word of God. And this is where God's Word, where His Holy Spirit carried along and sustained and verified and confirmed, this is where we have the witnesses. This is where we have the reliable witnesses, the testimonies about Jesus and all the other stuff that's come down to us. We have their testimonies. And so what do we do? We keep reminding ourselves. We keep reviewing. We keep reminding ourselves. And as we do, our faith is strengthened. Our confidence is built up. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for for the genius of how you've done it. Uh, You have given us everything we need. And we would pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would build up our confidence, even as you have talked to us about today in this passage. Uh, Help us to be faithful to the things that... That reinforce that. um, Some of this goes back to those qualities we talked about last week, that that perseverance and that that self-control, just that discipline of of growing in knowledge and uh, and all those things we talked about. We just thank you that you're doing that. Help us to be faithful. Help me to be faithful, Lord. Help every single one of us uh, to keep uh, looking to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, Send us out with your blessing this week. Uh, Help us to live this out in word and in truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.